just doing announcements. Please join me in the response of reading, which is a baptismal liturgy, printed in your worship folder and also on the screen. We gather to witness the story of God's salvation acted out in the waters of baptism. In holy worship, remember your baptism and give thanks. Through our baptism, we are marked as a people who believe in the radical act of redemption through Jesus. We are immersed in the newness of life and raised to walk on mission with Christ in the world. 
We do not know what new thing will be born in us, but we ask God's grace to respond in Christ-like love. God, drench us in the living waters of your love. Immerse us in the depths of your spirit. Amen. Here we have Kelsey Dunham. Kelsey has practically grown up in this church. She has been here for most of her life, and she has become quite a beautiful young lady, beautiful in her appearance and beautiful in her spirit. And one of the things that makes her so beautiful in her spirit is that she has made God and Jesus Christ her Lord and her Savior. God has dwelt in her life. God has come to take up his dwelling place within her. And that makes her a very special person. She has proclaimed her faith in Jesus Christ. She has accepted him as her Lord, as her Savior. She has committed herself to follow in the ways of Christ in her life. And now she is coming to proclaim that to you as a testimony to you through this act of baptism. The act of baptism is a symbolic act in which the old is put away. An old life is put away. As she is immersed into the water, it is as though she, or die, she was dying into, to an old life and burying that life in the waters of baptism. But you'll notice that we don't keep her under very long. We lift her up. We raise her up as Christ was raised from the dead and she is raised to a new life in Christ. That's what baptism is all about. And so Kelsey, my sister in the Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
welcome to all of you this morning. As you may notice, <clears throat> I am not Summer Bennett. <laughs> We're sorry to say Summer is homesick with a stomach virus, and so we hope she is better soon. In the meantime, I think we tried about the third string uh, leader today, so I'm going to do the best I can, and you all follow along with me. First, I want to welcome all of you today to, did I, yes, well, I'm before the praise band, right? Okay. Uh, make sure I got everything. We welcome all of you, especially our guests. We want to extend a hearty welcome to you and hope that you receive a blessing from being here today, and we know we'll receive a blessing from your being here. Uh, in that conjunction, there are attendance sheets at the end of each aisle, and if you would fill that out and pass it down so that we'll have a record of all the people attending today, we would appreciate that. Um, we had a great Valentine's banquet this last week, and we want to extend a word of thanks to everybody who had a part in preparing that. You all know who you are, and we know who <laughs> were the feedees, the feeders and the feedees. It was good. It really was. Also, the time and talent auction netted over $1,700, and that is just terrific. I think that is, deserves a round of applause. Uh, the supper club groups will meet for about five minutes after church to set up the first meal. So if you're in a supper club group, you, whoever you are, uh, you all will be meeting for about five minutes after the service. Um, now also, I'm, I, I've been asked to have all the team meetings that are on today checked if you're one of your teams is meeting, check on that in the worship bulletin uh, to see. I'm not going to say who all the teams are, but that's just uh, something that if you're one of the teams, be sure and check on that. The other thing is we like to greet everybody with uh, a word of greeting, a handshake, and uh, welcome. So I'd like to invite all of you to do that at this time. Stand up and greet each other.
about something, I don't know if you know what this is, but this is dog food. Any of you have a dog? Well, we have a little Yorkie, and she likes this kind of food. Now, I know you wonder where I'm going with this, but it does have a point. There was this man that owned a dog food company, and he was looking at 
their dog food sales, and they were just doing terrible. So he called a meeting of all of his main workers, and he said to the advertising guy, how's the advertising going? And the man said, oh, great, we have the best ads. We're probably going to win an award this year. Hmm. So then he asked the production guy, how's our product coming along? Great, we have a new package. It has passed all the marketing tests. It's super. Hmm. So then he looked at the sales leader and he said, what about our salespeople? Are they, are they any good? Well, we have the best salespeople in the world. So he said, well, okay then, tell me this. Why is nobody buying our dog food? Well, they all sat there for a minute, and finally one brave man said, well, it's because the stupid dogs just won't eat it. <laughs> so, now, where does this come in with what we're talking about today? It has a lot to do with how we as a church how we as a church work. You see, we have, we can have the best advertising. We're on the computer, we're on the internet. We can have the most wonderful music. We can have the best preaching. We can have the nicest building. But why are we not able to bring people in to take part in all of this wonderful opportunity that we're offering. Well, it has a lot to do about our sermon today about where is God and where does God live. And it talks about God's temple. Now, do any of you all know what a temple is? Maggie, do you know what a temple is? Okay, this is a temple. What is this? Church. It's a church, right. So usually when we're thinking of a temple, we think about an actual building. But in 1 Corinthians, which is what Brother Tim's going to preach on today, it says you are God's temple. The Spirit of God is in us. You know, people ask this question all the time. Well, where is God? And we usually ask that when bad things happen. Where is God? God's where he always was. He's in us. Now, where does that relate to what all we have to offer to people out there? We come here to worship God. And God is certainly in this building this morning. He's here every time we come to worship. But when we leave this building, according to Corinthians, God is in us. So when we leave and go about our way this week, where is God? He's in each one of us. He's there if we lie. God's there. If we do something bad, God's there. If we go out and tell people about Jesus, 
God's there. We have to be the example because we are God's temple. He lives in us. So I want you to get a new meaning to the word temple. Yes, it can mean a building where we go to worship God, and he's certainly there. But he's also right here inside each and every one of us. And as we are out going about our way on a daily basis, we have to remember that we are taking God with us. Now, my question is, do you tell those people about God? Do you show by example that God lives in you? Is your life an example to other people about the joy and the blessings that can come when you have God living in you? Think about it this week. Let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, as we hear your word this morning, as Brother Tim delivers the sermon, we pray that you will bless him and you will, we pray that the words will touch us and will renew in us the strength and the courage to take you out into the world with us. Bless all these children, bless their parents, and bless all those who have come to worship you today. Amen. All the children up through fifth grade can go back to, chil to children's church. Thank you. And, oh, I forgot one of the most important things. I have some candy, which I'm sure your parents will be thrilled. You'll join me this morning in our scripture reading. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cyphus or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for each and every person here today. I pray that each of us comes to know you, who you created us to be, and what purpose you created us for. When we walk with you, and we take time to talk with you, and to live with you, the joy is all-consuming. 
I pray that we as a congregation share this joy with those who do not know you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with an open heart to ask you to bring minds to realize that the duty that we have is bring to others the word as you have given us. In order for us to do this, we need to open our resources to the altar of our church in a monetary way. Only can we spread the word and support of our church with our resources. Make us realize that for people to understand that, the word of God is in our hands and with our work and our monetary resources are one of the many means to carry your word to others. Place into that burden order that we follow in your footsteps to help others. In your name we pray that we do our duty as you have directed us. In your name we pray. Amen.
Since tomorrow is President's Day, I thought I would begin our our message today with a story about Abraham Lincoln. One of Lincoln's most endearing qualities was his ability to laugh at himself, and especially at his rather plain appearance. In fact, he said that sometimes he felt like the ugly man who met an old woman traveling through the forest, and the woman exclaimed, you're the ugliest man I ever saw. And the man said, well, I can't help it. And the woman said, no, I guess not, but at least you could stay, the least you could do is stay home. (laughs) One reason that Abraham Lincoln was such a great man was that he was always able to laugh at himself. One of the most popular films from a while back was one that I'm sure that most of you have seen. It was a movie called Forrest Gump. But in that movie, uh, or in the novel on which the movie was based, there was a scene in which Forrest and his roommate at the University of Alabama have a serious problem. It seems that his friend's car had a flat tire, and while the friend was changing the tire, he accidentally dropped the lug nuts down into the sewer. And the friend was very upset about this because the two of them were already late for football practice, and their legendary coach, Bear Bryant, would not tolerate this. And so Forrest made a suggestion. He said, well, why don't you just take one nut off of, other, off of the other three tires, and then all four tires will have three nuts on them, and that should at least get us to football practice. Well, the friend looks at Forrest. His face turns red with anger and embarrassment at the simplicity of Forrest's suggestion. And at the top of his his lungs, he screams, I don't understand how you could think of that. You're an idiot. And Forrest replies, well, I may be an idiot, but at least I'm not stupid. (laughs) Well, that brings us to a question I think is important for all of us to ask about ourselves this morning. And here it is. How do you feel about yourself? Abraham Lincoln knew that he was not very handsome, but that did not stop him from becoming probably the greatest president our nation has ever known. And Forrest Gump understood his limitations, but that did not stop him from seeing things that other people could not see. So how do you feel about yourself this morning? A few years back, Reverend Jesse Jackson energized many young people with his chant, I am somebody. I am somebody. I may be poor, but I am somebody. I may be in prison, but I am somebody. I may be uneducated, but I am somebody. How do you feel about yourself this morning? Well, folks, let me tell you something. Here's what the Bible says about you. Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Did you hear that? You are God's temple. So how do you feel about yourself now? Folks, I hope that you know that this makes you somebody very, very special. You are the dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty. So this is where we need to begin this morning. God's dwelling place is within God's people. 
When Paul used these words, don't you know that you are God's temple? He was referring to the church. God's dwelling place is in the church, but but not necessarily in the building, as as uh, Phyllis was talking about a few moments ago. It's not necessarily in the building. There are two words in Greek for for temple, and the one used here denotes not so much a building, but the true dwelling place of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that as individual members of the body of Christ and as the, the church as a whole, we are God's dwelling place. Do you remember when Jesus had an, his encounter with the uh, Samaritan woman at the well? Remember what she said to him? She said, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And how did Jesus respond to that statement? He said, a time is coming and has now come with his coming when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. For those are the kind of worshipers that the father wants. In other words, God doesn't have to have a physical dwelling place. God is not on this mountain or that mountain or in this building or that building. No. God dwells within the hearts and in the minds of God's people. So you see, we are the dwelling place of God. And that is what makes you such a very special person. It's not because of your intelligence as intelligent as you may be. And it's not because of your good looks, as beautiful as you are. And it's not because of your athletic ability. And I've seen some of you out there on the softball field and the volleyball courts. And thankfully, that's not what makes you such a special person. (laughs) What makes you such a special person is that the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling within you and making you into the person that you are. One of my favorite short story writers, Flannery O'Connor, once wrote a story called A Temple of the Holy Ghost. In this story, O'Connor tells about a precocious 12-year-old girl. The girl has two teenage cousins who have come to her house for a visit. Well, teenage girls have a way of attracting teenage boys. And two boys have come to visit her cousins, and and the 12-year-old overhears her cousins making fun of a certain nun named Sister Perpetua. It seems that Sister Perpetua has suggested to them a formula for young ladies to use in fending off fresh young men in the back seats of their cars. The nun taught the girls to, to say, Stop, stop, sir. I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, the cousins think that this is hilarious. They think that this is just so funny. But the 12-year-old is moved by it. The news that she is the dwelling place of God makes her feel as if someone has given her a gift, a present, and she takes it very seriously. Well, folks, we should take it seriously, too. 
For you see, we are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. But what does that mean for us? Well, let me suggest just a few things this morning. First of all, when God dwells within us, we know who we are. And that's very important. Let me ask you something. Have you, have you ever heard someone say that, you know, I, I just need to find myself? You ever heard somebody say that? Well, let me suggest that while I understand what they, what they mean by that, what they really need to do is to find Jesus. Because, you see, when they find Jesus, they will also find themselves, the true themselves that God wants them to be. Tommy Nelson, in his book titled The Twelve Essentials of Godly Success, tells about a man named Robert Howard. Robert was from Cross Plains, Texas, small man with borderline schizophrenia. He lived in his own world. He didn't have many friends. He didn't marry. He lived with his mother. Howard made his living mostly by doing odd jobs. He didn't relate well with people at all. But then his mother fell ill and she went into a coma. And his mother was the only friend that Robert had ever had. And, and when the nurse told him that she would never recover, Robert went home and put a bullet through his head. He was 30 years old. When relatives went through Robert's possessions, they discovered great bundles of writings that Robert had never submitted to be published, writings that, that showed a brilliant imagination. It seems that in, in, in Robert's writings, he had constructed his own personal world. And in this world, he was not a frightened young man from Cross Plains, Texas, who lived with his mother. Instead, he was a bold, strong, handsome adventurer who conquered kings and warriors. This daring adventurer knew no fear. He was loved by women and revered by men. In his imagination, Robert had created a popular hero, which he named Conan the Barbarian. Yes, it is the same Conan which we know not only from Robert's writings, but also from the movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Millions and millions of dollars worth of Robert Howard's works about Conan the Barbarian have sold, all of which came after his tragic death. What a sad, sad story. Robert had no sense of personal identity. He did not know who he was. He, he tried to live out his life through a fictional character while in the real world he was a man who could not cope. Now, contrast Robert Howard with this 12-year-old girl in Flannery O'Connor's short story. The girl is moved by the idea that she is the dwelling place of God. And what a healthy idea to to grab a young girl's brain. This idea gave her a heightened sense of self-worth. And, and why shouldn't it? As Paul says, don't you know who you are? Don't you realize who you are? You are God's, God's temple. God's spirit 
lives within you. That's who you are. And that makes you special. So that's the first thing it means to have God dwelling within us. We have the the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us a sense of identity. When God's Spirit lives within us, we know who we are. Then secondly, when God's Spirit dwells within us, we also know how to live our lives. You know, our sense of identity, our, our, our sense of self-esteem cannot be separated from our behavior. For you see, in a real way, we are what we do. We are what we say and what we do. In Cy Montgomery's book, Journey of the Pink Dolphins, the character Nika speaks these unforgettable words. She says, when, when people forget who they are, they forget how to act. And that's true, isn't it? Steve Farrar tells about a young man named Adam Clark who was a sales clerk in a store in London that sold fine silk to people of the upper classes. And one day his employer showed him how to use, uh, how he could uh, increase sales and profits. And he said that as you measure out the silk, you can subtly stretch it, thereby giving the customer less for his money. But young Clark looked his employer straight in the eye and said, Sir, you may, your silk may stretch, but my conscience will not. Seems that Adam Clark knew who he was. And therefore, he knew how to live. So you see, our, our, our sense of identity, our sense of self-esteem cannot be separated from our behavior. Psychiatrist Theodore Dalrymple wrote an article about, uh, actually, I think it was about 15 years ago now, in Psychology Today. And in this article, he said that 20 years earlier, when he first began his practice, no one ever complained about a lack of self-esteem. But now, hardly a week goes by, he says, without someone complaining that he or she has a, a lack of self-esteem, as if they expected him, the doctor, to fix it. One young man came to him concerned about his low self-image and he felt that this was the cause of most of his problems and his mother agreed with him. She too felt that he suffered from low self-esteem and, and it, was a, it was this condition that had caused him to beat up his pregnant girlfriend which resulted in a miscarriage. Well, the doctor was not convinced. Could it be the other way around, he asked? So the young man asked, what do you mean by that? And the doctor said, could it be that it was your behavior that caused you to have a poor self-esteem rather than your poor self-esteem causing your behavior? Folks, our society has done an excellent job of, of helping people develop a, a high sense of self-esteem. And, and I will not criticize that. I, I think it's a very positive thing. However... This will only serve them well if they also develop a good character. We see our identity and our behavior cannot be separated. As Joseph Telushkin says in his book, The Ten Commandments of Character, self-esteem derives in part from knowing that one has done the right thing. 
So you see, when God dwells within us, we know who we are. We know how to live. We're to live like Jesus. We are to live with integrity and with love and with kindness, doing good unto others. And if God truly lives within our heart, then we know who we are. We know how to live. One more thing. When God dwells within us, we also have a friend who will be with us in any situation that we may face. When God's Spirit dwells within us, we not only have an internal guide that leads us to a proper lifestyle, but also we have an internal comforter. When God dwells within us, we will never be on our own again. And neither will those who we love. Reverend Charles von Rosenberg tells an important story about his son, John. It seems that at the age of two and a half, John was found to have a kidney condition that required surgery. And their family lived in a remote area of North Carolina at the time where uh, the medical facilities were sparse. And so they traveled to Duke University Hospital for the surgery. But on the night before the surgery, von Rosenberg spent hours pacing and praying in John's room. He was afraid. He was upset. He was angry, angry at the circumstances, angry at God, and in truth, angry with himself. After all, he was John's father, and he was supposed to be able to protect him from this kind of experience. And so he paced, and he paced, and he paced. And then at some point, about 2 o'clock in the morning, an amazing thing happened. Charles von Rosenberg says that he suddenly became aware of something as though a voice had spoken to him to him out of, out of nowhere. And the message that he received was this. The child in that hospital bed, his child, was in fact, first of all, God's child. As his dad, von Rosenberg, had only a temporary responsibility on God's behalf, but the child really belonged to God. Therefore, whatever happened at Duke would not change the most important thing that could be said about John. He is and always will be God's child. At 2 o'clock in the morning, von Rosenberg says, a tremendous burden was lifted from his shoulders. He knew that he still had a responsibility for his son, but not the ultimate responsibility. He also knew that neither the absolute best nor the absolute worst for John was in his hands. It was in the hands of God. And he could trust God. And that's what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. And so do the people we love. And when God dwells within us, we know who we are. When God dwells within us, we know what we are to do. We are to be Christ's disciples and follow in His footsteps, living our lives according to His teachings. And we also know who goes with us. A friend who can meet every need that we can ever have.
don't you know who you are? Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Holy Spirit lives within you? That's who you are, my friends. So how do you feel about yourself now? Pretty good, I hope. Amen. We're going to sing, Spirit Now Live Within Me, number 240. And this is an opportunity for you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ if you've never done that before. It's an opportunity for you to say yes and to, uh, and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to live within your heart. To ask the Holy Spirit to show you who you are and how you should live your life. And to ask the Holy Spirit to be there as a comfort to you and a source of strength and peace in our good times and in our hard times as well. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I hope you'll do that today. If you're looking for a church home to be a part of, we invite you to come and unite with our church as we seek to be the people of God in this place and to reach out into our community with God's message of love. Maybe you just need a time of prayer. We invite you to come and we will pray. We'll pray together. If you'd like to pray alone, you can come and pray. If God's dealing in your heart in any way, the invitation is open for you to come and we'll share this time together. Would you come as we sing? Oh God, you have made it clear to us today that we are your temple. Your place of dwelling is within each of us here in this room today. So help us to go forth from this place of gathering, indwelt by your Holy Spirit, made holy and kept pure, strengthened and sustained, guided and filled by the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, whose teachings are an example that we follow by your power. Amen.